All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Necessary, required, essential, absolutely needed. We can probably think of a lot of things that are necessary for life. Things like food, water, air. But what about for a church? What is necessary for a church to be alive and strong and healthy? Well, we've been looking at Christ's plan for church operation and church growth over the past few weeks from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Back in verse 11, we saw his plan for leadership. Last week in verses 12 and 13, we saw how not only do the leaders minister, but every Christian, every believer is called to minister and build up the body of Christ. And today in verses 14 through 16, we're going to see why that is necessary. We're going to see why Christ-like maturity is necessary for a church. And we're going to see why your involvement in that ministry is also necessary. Sadly, sometimes churches or individuals tend to neglect this. They don't really pursue Christ-like maturity. They view it as something that's optional, just an add-on to salvation. They don't understand that it's not optional. Christ-like maturity is required. It's not just beneficial, it's necessary. And probably more common, though, is the person in the pew the church member who just thinks, well, I'm not good enough to minister. I'm not a professional minister. I'm not a pastor or preacher. So I, I can't really minister to the body. My contribution is just insignificant and worthwhile. And sadly, many times Christians undervalue what they can contribute to the church. Maybe you felt that way. But according to Ephesians 4, your ministry is valuable. It is necessary to the church's growth. You can minister and contribute to the church more than you can imagine. And it is necessary. Now, like I've said before, Christ does not need us really to do these things. He could take care of all this by himself. But in his wisdom and his grace, he has planned for the church to operate this way. So if we want to follow Christ's plan for the church, your ministry is necessary. What does that ministry look like? Well, that's what we're going to see today. And for today, the big idea, the, the main thing that I want you to get from these verses is this. Christ wants you to build his body into Christ-like maturity. Christ wants you to build his body into Christ-like maturity. We're probably familiar with the, the Uncle Sam posters that I want you for the U.S. Army. Well, you could imagine Jesus standing there and he's looking at you saying, I want you. I want you to build my body, the church, into Christ-like maturity. That is what we're getting at today. So let's read verses 11 through 16 of Ephesians 4. 
But in the message, we're going to focus on verses 14 through 16. So let's read that. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the true head of the true church. We thank you that in your wisdom and by your grace, you have organized the church to operate the way we see here in Scripture. Lord, thank you that even though you could take care of all these things by yourself, you have designed it so that every one of us has a necessary role in the church. And I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that everything I say would be in conformity with your word that you would guide and lead, that you would help me to speak the truth clearly and accurately, and most of all, that your Spirit would be active in all of our hearts. Please, Holy Spirit, soften any hard ground that is here this morning. Dig up any weeds in our hearts that are here this morning that would choke out the Word and clear away the distractions that would prevent us from giving earnest attention to the Word of God. I pray that you would apply it to our lives, to our hearts, and that you would open our eyes to see Christ more clearly, to love Him more dearly, to walk with Him more nearly, and that He would be glorified in everything that we do, and Lord, I even pray for the, the little practical things that the technology would work and that my voice would last throughout the message, that you would just give grace and mercy in those things, and that through this, your saints would be equipped and your church would be built to be more like you. We ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. So why is Christ-like maturity necessary for a church? Why is it not an optional add-on? Why is it necessary? Well, in verses 14 and 15, Paul gives two reasons for that, two purposes for Christ-like maturity. The first one in verse 14, he actually states it negatively, that we would no longer be little children. Positively, as we look at that, it means that we need doctrinal stability. How do we get this doctrinal stability that we need? It's by becoming like Christ. 
The image that he gives in verse 14 is little kids at the beach or something, and they're, they're playing in the water, and a, the wind kicks up a wave, and it, boosh, it knocks them over. You know, have you ever seen that happen? That happened to me when I was maybe four or five. We went to the beach, and I was down there playing in the water, and the next thing I know, I'm underwater. This big wave comes and just topples me over, and my dad comes and picks me up, saves me from drowning. So little kids, the ones that aren't stable, the ones that are immature, they get knocked up. What are the waves and winds that Paul points out in verse 14? Well, he said, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. So he's talking about deceitful human teaching here. False teaching. That as, as we as a church try to stand up for the truth, the world is going to come at us with these forces of false teaching to try and knock us over, to try and lead us astray. And primarily he's talking about what we would normally think of with the big false teaching, the heresies, the people that intentionally distort the Bible. But also, I think we could apply this to smaller things, what I like to call the Christian conspiracy theories. You know, you've, you've probably heard the things where it's like, oh, if you take this Hebrew word and you flip it upside down and you convert it into numbers, it'll give you the zip code for where the Antichrist will be born. You know, silly stuff like that. And it is silly, but I've heard some crazy stuff. If you read enough, I mean, it gets out there. So I think this applies to this too. It's not, those things aren't necessarily false teaching. They don't contradict the truth sometimes, but they certainly distract us from what is central and most important, and they don't mature us. Let me just read to you what one pastor said as this thing I was listening to recently. Um, he's been a pastor for a long time, and he was talking about this issue. And he said, what I've seen over the years is that there's a certain kind of personality, or more seriously, we could call it a certain kind of spiritual condition that seems unable to be profoundly engaged with, unable to be deeply moved by, unable to rejoice in the great central, glorious realities of the Christian faith. They're always on the margins. And ultimately, the things of fascinated with marginal things that are not preeminent. I recall preaching a sermon one time and pouring out my heart concerning Christ and His work and His beauty and His brightness. central reality of Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. And a man took my hand at the door afterward and with great excitement said, have you seen this article? It was an article that
biblical preaching of the greatest realities in the universe and be absolutely unfazed because of his controlling interest in marginal speculations. People like that think they are being biblical and passionate for truth, but in fact, the main truths hold no interest for them. And that is a sad thing. Whether we get knocked over by an outright heresy, or whether we simply get distracted from Christ by all these little marginal things that take us away from Him, either one is dangerous, especially for, as Paul says, the immature little children. So how do we stand against those things as a church? How do we stand against the wind and the waves? How do we keep ourselves from getting distracted? You know, little kids, they get distracted easily. You try to walk and you get two steps and, oh, look, a rock. How do we prevent our church from being like that? Well, we stay focused on Christ and we grow to be like Christ. And as we think of this, The full picture of a spiritually mature person in Ephesians is not just an adult. By the time you get to the end in Ephesians 6, it's this. It's a soldier. That we're not just adults, but we are equipped for spiritual warfare. When we're talking about making mature Christians, you know, we don't want this. We want this. We want someone who's ready for battle. And we'll talk much more about what that looks like when we get to Ephesians 6. But keep that in mind. It's not just any sort of vague adulthood, but Christ Himself is a warrior. And so we are also called to be spiritual warriors. But we are to be warriors characterized, as we'll see, by love. Just like Jesus was that we are characterized by the love of Christ. So if we want to grow out of being unstable children, to be doctrinally stable, what do we need? We need Christ-like maturity. And in verse 15, Paul gives us the second purpose for why we need Christ-like maturity. We need this doctrinal stability, but we also need holistic Christ-likeness, to be like Christ in every Way. Look at verse 15. He says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So you see here again, as we've seen throughout this passage, the emphasis on growth, that we are to constantly be becoming more like Jesus. That's, and then that leads into the holistic part that we grow in every way into Christ. It's not like we are just like Jesus on Sundays. But no, we act like Jesus Sunday through Saturday, every day. And it's not that we act like Jesus only when other people see us, but we act like Christ in every aspect, every detail of our lives, whether that's public or private. In every way, we grow to become like Christ. 
And Paul's going to flesh that out more through the rest of Ephesians. He talks about what it looks like to be like Christ in our relationships in the church, in marriages, in our uh, work that we do, in parenting, our speech, our attitudes, all these things. How do we conform them to be like Christ? And why do we need to be like that in every way? Because as it says, Christ is our head. He's the ultimate authority over the church. He's the source of our life and our power. As our head, he gives us both the responsibility and the ability to be like him in every way. So those are the purposes for Christ-like maturity. Instead of being unstable children, we want to be doctrinally stable Christ-like, mature adults who are like Christ in every way. As our big idea says, though, Christ wants you to build his body into Christ-like maturity. It doesn't just happen without any effort, but this is where you come in. How do we achieve those goals? Through your ministry. And what is that ministry? Well, as Paul says in verse 15, it's speaking the truth in love. So that's the program for Christ-like maturity. First, we speak the truth. Now, what truth is Paul talking about here? Is he just talking about any, anything that's true in general? You know, let's say Angie has had a rough day at work and she needs some comfort And I say, I'm sorry, dear. I know it was a rough day, but just remember, two plus two equals four. Is that true? Yeah. Is that going to give her much comfort and help her become more like Christ? No. Paul's talking about biblical truth, spiritual truth that points us to Jesus and helps us become more like him. But in order to speak the truth, you have to know the truth, right? So do you know the Bible well enough to where if someone comes to you with a difficult situation in their life or a question, they need counsel on something, could you take them to the Bible and say, well, let's see what God's truth says about that? And you don't have to know every answer. You're never going to know every answer or know everything about the Bible. You're never going to know all that. It's impossible. But could you counsel someone from that? Or at least if they come to you and ask you something, could you say, well, I'm not sure about that right now, but let me let me look in the Bible and see what we can find. Or let me ask someone because they might know the answer to that. And you go to the Scriptures, you go to God's Word, and you speak the truth to people, and you build them up to be like Christ. And you don't have to have a college degree or anything like that to do that. You just got to know the Bible. This is why we are so intentional about preaching from the Bible. And we have our Bible reading program for throughout the year so that you can get familiar with all of Scripture, not just little sections of it. We have our midweek Bible studies that we do for this purpose. 
so that we would know God's Word and be able to minister it to one another. But we don't just need the truth. We also need to speak in love. It's really easy to take the truth and just beat people over the head with it and be unloving. That's not the way Christ wants us to be. Yes, we must hold firm to the truth, but we also must hold firm to love. We should be characterized by love. What is this love? This is self-sacrificial love that seeks the best for the other person, seeks what is truly best for someone else, even if I have to make a sacrifice to do that. And if our motive when we speak the truth isn't love, well, what might it be? I'm sure we could list more, but here's a few things. that When we don't speak in love, maybe we're just trying to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, honestly, that's my natural default. I want to prove you wrong and show that I'm right. But that's not love. That's selfish. It's proud. proud. Or maybe we do it just to fulfill the duty that we have. God told me to speak the truth. I'm going to speak the truth. I don't care how it affects the other person. I'm just going to do it. And I obeyed God. Or maybe it makes you seem more spiritual when you speak the truth. But you're focused on yourself still and not the other person. Or maybe you want to show off how smart you are. Look at all these Bible passages that I have memorized. You know, that's not love. Love seeks to build up the other person. And it's really interesting and really sad that 30 years, about 30 years after Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, when you get to the book of Revelation and Jesus is telling John what to write, he rebukes the Ephesians for this very thing. Let's just read that in Revelation 2. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And when Christ says that, that He will remove the lampstand, what He's talking about is shutting that church down. That lampstand is the church. So you can be a champion of truth, of biblical truth, which is good, but without love, Christ is not pleased. You can work and labor all you want for Christ, but without love, Christ isn't pleased. You can endure suffering and hardship for Christ, but without love, Christ is not pleased. And sadly, there's so many churches that are like that today. I've seen them. 
especially when it comes to how they treat our LDS neighbors. They are cold and sometimes even hostile champions of truth, but they have nothing of the warmth of Jesus' love. And I pray that our church never, ever becomes like that. Yes, we want to stand strong and firm against false teaching. We want to champion the truth and proclaim the truth. But we should also want to be filled with the love of God, the love of Christ. And isn't that what we keep going back to that we saw at the end of chapter 3? That Paul prayed for the believers to be filled with the love of God to know it more and more. This is why. Because we can't do this on our own. You cannot love like Jesus unless you have first experienced the love of Jesus. And where do we see that? In the Gospel. That Christ Himself, who was God, humbled Himself and became a man. And not a rich, wealthy comfortable king, but a peasant who lived a life of suffering, the man of sorrows, and he lived sinlessly in our place. And he died for your sins and my sins in the most agonizing death ever on the cross. And he rose victoriously from the grave. And he did that out of his immense love for you and me. And when we see the wonders, the greatness of the love of God in the Gospel, it will transform us to love like Jesus loved. That's what we are called to do. To speak the truth just like Christ did, but also to love just like Christ did. Now let's take a minute and think about this and try to get really practical with it. What does this look like? Excuse me for a moment. There's more, much more that we could say about this than what I will have on the screen. Um, I even this morning was reviewing and I was like, oh, I could also say this, this, and this. But we're not going to take the time to do that. We'll go with this. First, as we've said, to speak the truth in love, you have to know the truth and experience Christ's love. That's what we've already said. Secondly, this means that when we gather on Sundays or when we meet with one another throughout the week, we look for what we can give, not just what we can get. Yes, we should be receiving. We should be being built up. But our heart should be for others, to build others up. So many times people come and they, they look for a church and they just say, well, I want to get this and this and this out of it. And it's just that American consumer mindset where it's all about what can I get? What, benefit, what benefits me? But really, we should have the servant's heart of Christ to say, what can I give to others? Thirdly, Love speaks the truth in many forms, okay? And this is, this is where it gets difficult sometimes to know how to, how to speak the truth. Sometimes someone needs a gentle word, a gentle rebuke, 
a gentle encouragement. Other times, you got to be firm. We see both in Scripture, both from Jesus, both from the apostles. At times, they're gentle, depending on who they're talking to. And at times, you know, they're, they're angry. But Christ always spoke in love, even when it was in anger as well. And so you have to know the situation. You've got to know the person that you're talking to, because that's the key. What is best for that person in that situation? And so it's probably never best to just blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. Because have you stopped and thought about what is best for that person? Do that first. Sometimes people need to be rebuked for sin. Sometimes they need to be praised for what they're doing good. Sometimes they need encouragement and comfort. Or sometimes, if they're going through a difficult situation, they need you to just grieve with them, to weep with those who weep. Love speaks the truth in many different forms. And for this to work properly in our church, fourthly, we also need to lovingly receive the truth. Even if it's not spoken lovingly, if someone comes up to you and they try to point out something in your life that you know, they can show you from Scripture, this is a sin. You, you need to repent of that. Don't get all, well, you don't know me. You can't talk to me like that. No. Be humble. Receive the love, the truth that they are speaking in love. Even if they come across as not loving and you're like, man, they chewed me out. That wasn't very loving. Assume the best. And even if they're like, yeah, I don't love you. You just need to know this. Well, keep loving them anyway. It's tough. Man, it's tough. But that's why we need Jesus, right? He's the one who enables us to do this. I remember um, I was listening to Alistair Begg. Some of you may know him. He's a well-known preacher on the radio. He's got a cool Irish accent. But uh, he was talking about one time someone had written a letter to him. had no idea who it was. They'd heard a story he was telling in his sermon. And they said, you are an unfit leader for God's church because you told that story. And it wasn't even like I heard the story and it wasn't a big thing. And he said, how do I respond to that? Do I say, ah, oh, they, they don't know anything and just throw it in the trash? He said, no, I assume the best. And I say, well, maybe there's some truth to that. I better examine my heart. And that's, that's how we all should be. Examine our hearts. Is what they said true? Is there something that needs to change? Next, this kind of speaking the truth in love is most effective in relationships. It's most effective when you already have a measure of trust built with that person. Is that necessary? No. Sometimes you just need to speak up even if you don't know the person. But it's best, most effective when you know them, you have a relationship with them, and you can say, look, I'm your friend. You know I care about you, but you need to know this. Okay, you need, you need to stop doing whatever this is in your life. And 
Isn't the comfort when you're grieving of a friend that much more potent, more effective than the comfort of a stranger? This is the most effective in relationships. And then lastly, if someone gets offended, it should be because of the truth and not because of your lack of love. We don't compromise on the truth, okay? So if we speak the truth in love to someone and they're just not willing to listen and they get offended and they say, I don't want to talk to you anymore, if you've done your duty speaking the truth in love, it's not your fault. That's on them. But people shouldn't be offended because we were rude or selfish or something like that because that's not love. So... Hopefully those principles, and there's more, like I said, can just help us get started to speak the truth in love to one another in our church and to build up Christ's body into Christ-like maturity. Because as our big idea says, oh, I forgot one more. Love speaks, but love also covers a multitude of sins. A lot of times, well, I'll just illustrate it with another story. I had a friend in college who he really got a hold of this idea that it's my responsibility to um, confront others about their sin. I need to help them overcome sin and become more like Christ. I was like, yes, that's good. But he went around to every person he saw, basically, and was like, hey, you're doing this little thing wrong. You need to change. And I, I just had to talk to him one day and be like, dude, back off of people. Like, you're not being loving right now. You're just being a busybody and getting in everybody's business. Just chill out. (laughs) And so love does speak. When there's sin that needs to be confronted, love speaks for the good of the other person. But as Scripture says multiple times, love also covers a multitude of sin. Where if it's a little thing and that person's not ready to hear that yet, you say, well, we'll just wait. We'll pray for them. And at the right time, we'll talk to them about it, okay? So don't just go around nitpicking everybody's lives for every little thing that you disagree with. That's that's also not love. Christ wants you to build his body into Christ-like maturity. And that is how you do it. You speak the truth in love. You point people to Jesus and help them become more like him. And so to close out in verse 16, Paul kind of summarizes everything we've seen so far with two principles for Christ-like maturity. The first is that Christ-like maturity comes from Christ. Let's read verse 16. It says, From Him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for, excuse me, for building up itself in love, by the proper working of each individual part. So as we've said over and over and over again in this passage, Christ is the center of all of this. He's the source of the gifts we receive. He's the source of our church's growth. He's the goal of our growth. Christ is everything. And we must never, ever forget that. If we leave Christ behind, we've left our head behind. The body can't function without the head. It doesn't work. So if we ever cease to depend on Christ and exalt Christ and seek Christ and obey Christ, 
then we have strayed from his plan for how the church should operate and grow. But like we said, that doesn't excuse us from having responsibility because there's the balance. It's all from Christ, but he uses us to do it. And so Christ-like maturity comes from every body part working properly. Every body part. That's another emphasis in this passage that we've seen. Every saint is called to minister, not just the leaders of the church. Everybody. Primarily, we do that by what we just saw, speaking the truth in love to one another, helping us become more like Christ. So the leaders, as we saw in verses 11 and 12, equip the saints for ministry, and all of us together as saints speak the truth in love to one another so that we can all become more like Christ. So your ministry, your active role in this body is not insignificant. It is not optional. It is necessary. It is your contribution is more than you can imagine. If you don't fulfill your role for whatever reason, you're not speaking the truth in love to one another, you're not helping others become more like Christ, our church will lack in one way or another. This is how Christ has designed the body to operate. And if we think about that metaphor of the body, I mean, it makes sense, right? If my right shoulder all of a sudden just doesn't want to work, I can't pick up much with just my left arm, right? Or if my left foot says, well, I'm not important, I'm just a foot, so I'm not going to try to walk anymore, it's going to be hard for me to walk, right? I'm going to be limping everywhere. That's what happens when we don't fulfill our role. When the, the body parts, the ligaments, aren't supporting one another and doing their proper work. And let's think about how this affects what we're going to see in the rest of Ephesians. Because as I've said, Paul's going to start getting even more practical in these things. In the rest of 4 and chapter 5 and 6, he gets very down to earth. And a lot of times, after this passage, we tend to take it and just individualize it and say, okay, all that stuff before was about the church, now all this stuff after is about me. And that's not the picture here. What Paul is wanting us to grasp is that becoming like Christ, our sanctification, is a community project. It's not just me changing me. It's all of us helping all of us become more like Christ. That is what we have to keep in mind as we look at all the practical applications in chapters 5 and 6. Whether it's talking about how do you um, work a job and stop stealing to live honestly, that's not just an individual thing. It's a church community project in your life. Or whether it's how do you make your marriage more gospel-centered, like chapter 5 talks about. That's not just an individual thing. The church helps with that. That is how Christ has designed it. And so, yes, we have to be 
humble. We have to be vulnerable and open about these things. We have to love one another and help one another in all of these different areas. So when we hear those practical exhortations, don't just sit there and think, okay, how does this affect me? What do I need to do for me? You should think that. But also you should think, how can someone else help me with this? How can I help someone else become more like Christ in this area? It's a community effort. Becoming Christ-like is not just about you individually changing you. It's about others helping you become like Christ and you helping others become like Christ. Because Christ wants you to build His body into Christ-like maturity. Christ-like maturity is necessary for our church. And to achieve that, your ministry is also necessary. So how do we get started on this? Well, I want to point out two things. First is this article, and I printed off copies for everyone. It's called The Ministry of the Pew, Sunday Morning for Normal Christians. And he talks about kind of what I've talked about here, and he fleshes out some more practical examples, and it's just really well written. Danny, would you pass those out to everyone? Thank you. So I wanted to uh, read part of it, but we don't have time this morning. So just take that with you and read that, and I think that will help you get a picture of what this looks like. Secondly, you should have in your bulletin this handout that I made. Everyone should have one of these. If you don't, we can get you one. But it's called Speaking the Truth in Love, Getting Started. So here's your homework for the week. Next sat- or This coming Saturday, or Saturday night or Sunday morning, take this handout out and go through it and do what it says. First, pray. Pray to know the truth. Pray to be filled with God's love. Pray to have wisdom for knowing how, when, and to whom to speak the truth in love. So Saturday night or Sunday morning, pray about that. Then when you come to church next week, have something to share from the Bible. Whether it's, wow, I read this psalm in our Bible reading plan, and isn't God just amazing? Or, you know, I was really worried about something this week, and I read this passage in Scripture, and it just really comforted me. Whatever. Just come to church with something to share with someone from the Bible. And then a really good way to get these kind of conversations and relationships started is to ask meaningful questions. And I've listed some here. There's others you could think of. But what have you been reading or studying in the Bible lately? Has God given you any specific blessings recently? What has God been teaching you through this trial? Have you had any opportunities to share the gospel recently? How has God encouraged you recently? How can I pray for you? And then when you have those talks here on Sunday, don't leave it there on Sunday. Follow up with people throughout the week. Continue those conversations. So let's say that, um, I don't know, Annie and Cookie talk here on next Sunday. And Annie says, yeah, if you could pray for me about this, I would really appreciate it. And then on Wednesday, Cookie has been praying for Annie, and she calls Annie and she says, Hey, Annie, I've been praying for you about what you mentioned on Sunday. How's that going? And you just follow up, and you 
keep those conversations going throughout the week. And over time, we want this to be the, the culture of our church, where it's natural for us to speak this way. Now, I know at first you're thinking, it's going to be kind of awkward, right, to ask someone a deep question like that. I know that's how I feel. I need to grow in this because a lot of times I stop short because I think, well, it's going to be awkward. Well, you know, if we all do it together, then it won't be awkward because we're all doing the awkward thing together. So then it won't be awkward. So let's all do this. Take this handout, keep it with you throughout the week, go through it and come back next Sunday ready to speak the truth in love and build up Christ's body. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. I pray that you would ever be the the chief desire of our hearts, the supreme love of our lives. Lord, help us to love the truth, to love the gospel, to be filled with your love in the gospel and that you would be glorified in our lives and in our church. Help us to speak the truth in love to one another, that we would be intentionally ministering to one another in these ways, and that as we interact with one another, we would see one another becoming more like Jesus And that even as people from outside come in, they would say, wow, there's something different about this church. They're they're so truthful. They're so honest. They know the word of God and they really love one another. Lord, let us, by your grace, be like that. And we ask these things in your holy and wonderful and matchless name. Amen.